I hope that you have uh, your Bible open in front of you to the book of Habakkuk. And those verses that we just read earlier in chapter 3, starting in verse 17, do you, do you see what, what the prophet is saying there? I mean, of course, he's inspired by the Holy Spirit to write this, but do you see what he's, what he's saying there? It sounds poetic and it, it sounds, it might even sound historical or it might sound, uh, it, it might sound distant from us, but, but just look at, at what he's, what he's saying in the passage. Look back at verse 17 of chapter 3. What, what he does is he lists six things there in order of their importance to, he's writing to the people of Judah, the people of his day in Judah. That's his original audience. But he's listing six things in order there uh, of their importance to the people uh, of Judah. He starts the list with, uh, with figs. He says the fig tree should not blossom figs in that day. They were, they were important. They were, they were fruit just like they are today, but they were really just kind of a delicacy. They were, uh, they were something that you would enjoy. They were, they were nice to have once in a while. It's kind of like, uh, you know, going out to a fancy restaurant. If you can remember what it was like to go out to a fancy restaurant, that, that's kind of a delicacy. It's kind of something that you would enjoy on occasion. But as we're doing now with all of this social distancing, you can live without that. And they could live without the figs. So that was really just the first on the order of importance on the list. Then he moves down to grapes. Now, grapes were important, but but it was possible to live without grapes. They could, instead of making wine or, or something like that, they, they could drink water. So grapes were, were important, but they weren't crucial. They weren't going to die of thirst without grapes. It was kind of like to us maybe uh, doing without pop or doing without Kool-Aid or doing without juice for a while. You, you miss it, but you certainly could live, you certainly could live without it. Then he moves on down the list or up the list in, in importance and he gets to olives. I, I, I love, I love to eat olives. But olives in those days, in the day of Habakkuk that he was writing, Olives were crucial. They, they were an essential thing. They, they not only would eat olives, they not only would use olive oil in their cooking, but they would use olive oil uh, sometimes to light the fire that they, would, that they would cook with. They would use olive oil in their, in their lamps to light up their rooms, their interior rooms or their rooms at night. It, it was also their main form of medicine. You know, they didn't have a Rite Aid that they could go to or a CVS that they could go to for medicine. It was, it was applying olive oil to wounds that, that, they, that was what they would use for medicine. So olive oil was crucial. But still, you could, you could find a way to live without it. But now as he, as he moves on, he gets to something even much more crucial. Now he gets real serious. Now he moves to grain. Now grain, they, they obviously didn't have Kroger or Walmart or Food City. And, and without grain, if, if you didn't have grain, people were going to starve to death. And grain was, was used, was their main staple of food. And if that wasn't bad enough, they wouldn't have any way to buy grain because the main way that they made money or that they counted money 
in those days was with their sheep and their cattle. And the sheep and the cattle were gone. So they didn't have any money, didn't have any food. Here's, here's what he was saying. Here's what all of this boils down to. He was saying to the people, he was saying, here's what we might be looking at in the coming months. In the coming months, we, we might be looking at no luxuries, no, no conveniences. We might be looking at no snacks, no tasty foods. We might be looking at no power. We might be looking at no medicine. We might be looking at no groceries. We might be looking at no money at all. I'm not saying that's where we are as a society, but that's what, that's what he was looking at, and that's what he was facing, and that's what these people were facing at that time. How would you react? How would you react if you thought that your hospital was going to be overrun to the point of having to shut down? How would you react if you thought that your power was going to be cut off? We had an electrical storm passed by this morning and it cut the power off for about 30 seconds in my house. And I just thought, well, okay, here we go. Here's the next thing. How would you feel if your power was shut off and wasn't going to be restored? How would you react if you thought that you weren't all of a sudden that you weren't going to be able to pay your bills or you weren't going to be able to feed your family? How would you react to those things? How would I react to those things? Well, look at how Habakkuk reacted in verse 18. Verse 18, he says, yet, yet, even though all of this stuff is going to happen, even though all of this stuff has happened, even though the worst might be yet to come, he says, yet, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. He said, even though these things are going to happen to me, even though maybe more than this might happen to me, you know what I'm going to do? I am going to be determined to praise God. That's tough, isn't it? That's tough. Do you, do you think you could do that? Do you think you could say that? That no matter what happens, that you're going to, Rejoice in the Lord that you're going to take joy in the God of your salvation. Oh, let's just let's just make it real. Are you saying that in this relatively relatively mild crisis compared to what we're reading about here? Are, are you saying this in this crisis that we're going through right now? So here, here's here's the question this morning. How can you praise God in these circumstances that we're going through? If, God forbid, if they get worse or if they get better, how can you praise God no matter what circumstances you might be going through? Well, first, to kind of get a little perspective on what Habakkuk was talking about, what he was going through, we need to, we need to go back and see exactly what he was going through, see exactly what his circumstances were. So let's go back to chapter 1. And I know it's an extended passage. We've got in a couple of a couple of extended passages here, so that's why I ask you to have your Bible open in front of you. We're going to read um, all of chapter one, so bear with me as I read. God's <clears throat> word says the oracle or the burden. Some versions some versions say the burden that Habakkuk the prophet saw. 
Verse 2, he says, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. (laughs) A little exaggeration there, huh? For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. Verse 5. This is the Lord's answer to Habakkuk. The Lord says, Look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I'm raising up the Chaldeans. The Chaldeans were, that's another name for Babylonians. I'm raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who marched through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They're dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from, their, from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards. Their horsemen proudly press on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They, cap- they gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. And they sweep by like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own might is their God. Verse 12. This is Habakkuk responding back to God. He says, Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have, or, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. You who are pure, you who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet, so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net, makes offerings to his dragnet, for by them he lives in luxury and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? Habakkuk, through this back and forth with God, he he looks around and he sees the kind of shape that Judah's in. Judah, his nation, his homeland. And what he sees, it's, it's really not pretty. Now, on the surface, the economy was fine. They were fairly secure militarily. They weren't being threatened by enemies around them at that time. The people of Judah, they were, they were comfortable. You might say they were fat, dumb, and happy. They were comfortable. They were secure. They were mostly prosperous. By all accounts, if they had the Wall Street Journal at that time, they could pull it up and they could see that their lives were, were going pretty well. Kind of like our nation was just a matter of a few weeks ago. But that didn't tell the whole story, did it? Those surface measurements, that didn't tell the whole story because despite the people's relative comfort, the nation itself was was falling apart. Violence was running rampant through the country. The people worshipped anything and everything except God. They worshipped their economy. They worshipped their prosperity. They worshipped their activities. They worshipped their stuff. Immorality in their nation was, was the norm. 
The, the moral state of the nation of Judah at that time was in such bad shape that Habakkuk said that the law said that God's word seemed like it didn't have any impact on them at all to the point that he made it seem like he, in his exaggerated questions to God, he made it sound like that God's word was completely ineffective. People had no moral compass. Does that sound familiar? And Habakkuk's reaction was like many of our reactions are when we see things like that. It was, God, how long are you going to let this go on? How long are you going to put up with all of this? Well, at the same time that Habakkuk asked that question, he got an answer from God. The problem was he didn't like the answer that he was getting. And the answer that he got was there in verses 5 through 11 that we just read. And in verses 5 through 11, God basically told Habakkuk that he was going to use the Chaldeans. He was going to use people who were more wicked. He was going to use a more wicked situation than even what Judah was in to handle the problem. That made absolutely no sense to Habakkuk. He said, you know, God, are you going to do something? Why, why don't you do something to fix the problem? And then God said, hey, I'm, I'm in the process of fixing the problem. And Habakkuk said, no, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. He basically tells God, God, oh, wait, wait, God, you, you don't know what you're doing here. How, how can you really do that? Verse 13, he said, why do you idly look at traitors? And remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he. In other words, God, you know that I've been complaining about this wickedness around me. You know that I've been complaining about the wickedness of Judah. But how in the world can you bring a nation that is wicked, more wicked than Judah to bring judgment on Judah? How in the world can you do that, God? What you're doing doesn't make sense. Really, if you boil it all down... Habakkuk was asking the age-old question that many of us ask. He was asking the question, how can bad things be happening to me when bad people, bad people all around me are, seem to be doing just fine? You know, it's tempting to react the way that Habakkuk does here at the beginning of this book. God you, just, God, you just don't know what you're doing here. God, I, I know better than you do. I, I've got this figured out better than you do. You just really don't know what you're doing here. Don't you thank God that he's gracious? Don't you thank God that he's merciful? See, even though he had every right to be angry and to be full of wrath toward Habakkuk, he wasn't. He was merciful to Habakkuk. And even though he didn't have to answer Habakkuk, he did. And his answer takes up all of chapter 2. Now, we're not going to read all of chapter 2, but, but we'll come back to a part of it in just a few minutes. But for right now, I want us to look at how God summed up his answer to Habakkuk in the last verse of chapter 2. So flip over to verse 20 of Habakkuk chapter 2. He sums everything up. With just these few words, he says, but the Lord, God is speaking to Habakkuk. He says, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. So what was God's final answer to Habakkuk? God's final answer to Habakkuk was, look, I have got this under control. 
Habakkuk, I am seated on my throne. I am seated in my temple. Not a, not a building that people built. No, I'm in my holy temple. God was saying, look, Habakkuk, no, no matter how bad things look to you, you can rest assured that I am in control. God was saying, there's nothing that shocks me. There's nothing that surprises me. You might think that things are absolutely spinning out of control, but Habakkuk, you need to realize that you didn't have any control in the first place. And God said, I did, and I still do. Let me tell you, if you lost your job because of this coronavirus, it wasn't a surprise to God. You might be worried about how you're going to pay the bills, but God's not sitting back on the precipice of heaven, wringing his hands, trying to figure out, oh, what, what am I going to do now to help my children out? See, God already knows how he's taking care of you. God already knows how he has taken care of you. And he knows how he's going to take care of you today and tomorrow and next week and all throughout the future. God already knows that. So you might be fearful. You might be wondering what's going to happen to all these plans that you've made for yourself. You know, I've, I've made all these plans for, for the spring and for the summer. I've made all these, all these vacation plans. I've made all these work plans. I've, I've planned a wedding. I've planned this. I've planned all these things. You might be worried about all of these things that you planned. What about my job? What, what about my school? What about my graduation? What about my work plans? What about my retirement? What about my investments? What about my wedding? What about my family plans? You might be frantically in the middle of this, frantically trying to come up with plan B or plan C, or you might even be on down to plan D by now. But you can rest assured that God does not and never has and never will have a plan B. God is always in complete and total control of everything, even COVID-19. That's the only way that the promise of Romans 8.28 even begins to make sense, isn't it? You know the promise of Romans 8.28. All things work together for good to them that love God and are the called according to His purpose. That's the only way that that can make sense. The only way that things can, that all things can work together for good to those that love God and are called according to His purpose. The only way that they can work together for good is if an all-powerful, sovereign God is actively working all of those things together for good. God's not trying to figure out how to take all these disparate pieces together and try to make the best of a bad situation. No, God hasn't moved anywhere. He is on His throne. He is in His holy temple. That was God's final word to Habakkuk, and it's, it's His final word to you and to me this morning. No matter what you're going through right now, you can rest assured that God hasn't moved, but He's still in control. 
This hasn't surprised him. This hasn't left him hanging on the edge of his seat waiting for the next daily briefing to come on at 1 o'clock or when they delay it till 3 o'clock. He's not waiting for that next daily briefing to come up. He's not left scrambling for a new plan every day or every week or every month. No matter what happens, God is on His throne. So when Habakkuk realized that, when he heard God say that, and when he realized that, what did he cause him to do? <laughs> caused him to do the same thing that it should cause us to do. It caused him to break out in praise and worship. And that's what he did in chapter 3. We're going to read another extended passage, verses 1 through 15 of chapter 3. But there's nothing richer than reading God's Word together. So follow along, if you would, chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. <clears throat> this is a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet. And this, according to Shagai and Oth, that's a, that's a musical notation. So this was meant to be sung. Verse 2, O Lord, I've heard the report of you and your work. O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Teman and the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covered the heavens and the earth was full of His praise. His brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from His hand. And there He veiled His power. Before Him went pestilence and plague followed at His heels. He stood and measured the earth. <laughs> he looked shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of cushion and affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea? When you rode on your horses or your chariot of salvation, you stripped the sheath from your bow calling for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and withered. The raging water swept on. The depth gave, the deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. The sun and the moon stood still in their place at the light of your arrows, as the, at the light of your arrows as they sped, at the flash of your glittering spear. You marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. You pierced him with his own arrow, with his own arrows, the heads of his warriors who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. Now you think some of our, uh, uh, some of our songs have a lot of words and are hard to sing. Can you imagine uh, if we put that to music and tried to, tried to sing that? But you see how he was dealing with the circumstances that he was going through. He, he just poured out in praise, recognizing God for who he is, for his greatness and his power and all of his might and all of his works. So how are you reacting? How are you reacting to the difficult circumstances we find ourselves in today? No matter how you look at it, things aren't great. You, you probably feel isolated. You might feel lonely. I, I've seen more cries of, of loneliness over these past few days than, 
than I expected from really only a couple of weeks of this. But you might feel lonely. You might feel isolated. You might feel depressed. You might feel down. You might have lost your job. You might be working yourself to death. There are some in our community who are absolutely working themselves to death. You might be one of those. You might be working in an essential job and you're worried about getting infected, being out when other people are quarantined. You might be worrying about that you might be a carrier and you might be worried about infecting somebody else. You might have picked up a cough and you're wondering if it's just allergies or if you've been infected. COVID-19 has impacted nearly every area of our lives right now. How are you reacting to it? How are you going to react if it gets worse? And of course, we pray that doesn't happen. But what if it does? How are you going to react? I, I pray that you and I, I pray that we will react like Habakkuk does in these verses. I, I pray that you're going to be able to say, no matter what happens to me, I'm going to rejoice in the Lord. I'm going to recognize Him for His greatness and His goodness and His power and His mercy and His love. Well, it's one thing to want to react that way. It's one thing to puff up with pride and say, yes, I am going to act that way. <laughs> but it's a completely different thing to actually act that way, isn't it? See, the bottom line is it has to be a whole lot more than our determination. It has to be a whole lot more than just our want to. Your reaction to all of this can't be something that you hope to accomplish through your own strength or through your own desire or through your own want to. No, this is something that has to be, that can only be done through you and for you. So that takes us, I told you we're going to go back to chapter 2. So that takes us back to chapter 2. Look at verses 2 through 4. Chapter 2, starting in verse 2. And the Lord answered me, Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it, but it'll surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. See, God is telling Habakkuk, he starts off saying, this is really important, Habakkuk. You need to write this down. Matter of fact, you need to write this down in such a way that it's so big, it's like billboard big, so that somebody running at 60 miles an hour can see what you've written. You need to write this down. These these, these tough times, you need, you need to be reminded of these things because these tough times that, that we're going through, when you're going through the middle of these tough times, you need something to be able to stick in your face to remind you about it. So how are you going to live in the middle of the circumstances that don't make sense? What was it that God told Habakkuk to write down in such a prominent way that he'd never forget it? What do you need to write down? What do you need to write down and stick on your refrigerator as a daily reminder throughout all this? You know what he told him? Verse 4. He said, the righteous, righteous people 
People who've been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. People who have been imputed with the righteousness of Christ. The righteous don't live by what they see. Uh, Habakkuk was looking at a pretty bleak future. He was looking at a future with the possibility of no figs, no grapes, no grain, no sheep, no cattle. But even though that's what he was looking at, (laughs) the righteous don't live by what they see. How do the righteous live? They live by faith. The righteous live by faith faith. So what does that mean? It means exactly what Paul said it means. Said it means, excuse me, when he quoted this verse in Romans chapter 1 verses 16 and 17, right there in your Bible, in the margin of your Bible next to this verse, just write that reference. Romans chapter 1 verses 16 and 17. And here's what he said when he quoted that. Apostle Paul said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So there's no barriers. He says, For in it, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So how should you how should you react when this when this coronavirus, no matter what it brings, how, how should you react in the midst of all of this? You should react with praise. And you can react with praise when you live by faith and not by sight. No matter what circumstances you might be going through, no matter what circumstances all of this is bringing you, trust that God is sovereign. God is in control over them. Trust that He's still in control and He hasn't lost a bit of His control. Trust that He's still on His throne. Trust that He's still in His temple. Trust that through the finished work of Christ on the cross, when you trust Jesus as Lord and Master and Savior, trust that He's promised you good no matter what you're going through right now. He's promised that He's actively working all things together for good for you as a believer. And He's working all things together for His glory. Trust that, as Philippians 1.6 Philippians 1, 6 says, trust that when Jesus starts the good work of salvation in you, He's promised that He's going to bring it to completion. He's not going to leave anything undone in your life. No matter what circumstances you go through along the way. So here's your only real question this morning. As we walk through this trying and this uncertain time together, do you want to be unshakably sure and full of praise? No matter what the future might hold. If you do, all you have to do is believe. All you have to do is believe that Jesus is who He said He is in His Word. All you have to do is believe that Jesus did what He said He did for you in His Word. He died to take away your sin. He lives to clothe you in His righteousness so that the righteous will live by faith and not by what they see. And when you're clothed in His righteousness, in the power of His Spirit, you can live by faith. And not by sight. And you can lift up praise in the middle of the storm. 
When you live by faith and not by sight, you will rejoice in the Lord. You will take joy in the God of your salvation and you will sing. 